0: Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Football 360. Thanks to everyone who helped and supported the, the first season. Uh, it was a really enjoyable experience for me. I'm looking forward to bringing you some more, uh, more new football content this year. 2020 uh, has been a tough year for everyone. Um, of course, there's, there's things much more important in this, in this world than football, but um, for anyone who's been involved in football at any level, as a coach, a player, an administrator, a fan, um, unfortunately, we've all been waiting around, a lot of uncertainty and um, kind of kicking our heels a little bit. But it does look like the, the football world is, is getting back into gear and uh, albeit in a slightly different different way and preparing for it slightly differently with certain restrictions in place. It looks like we're all get, we'll, we'll all be getting back um, involved with the game in one form or another in the coming weeks. So I wish everyone a, a, a really successful and enjoyable new season. As regards Season 2 of Football 360, my first guest is Clive Nates, who's the Lincoln City Chairman. Clive is a South African guy uh, who still spends most of his year out there. Uh, he fell in love with the game in, in the 1960s and fell in love with English football particularly back then. He's been an Everton fan since then um, and is hugely passionate about, about the game. He devoured every bit of information he could find about the game as a, as a young guy out in South Africa. and uh, that obsession has uh, has continued throughout his life. He got involved with Lincoln City in two thousand sixteen. Uh, initially as a, as an investor, he he's had a terrific career in finance, uh, opening the first hedge fund in South Africa, and, and subsequently going on to become the chairman of the company Peregrine Capital out there. Um, but his uh, his investment in Lincoln City led to a journey which I think many people are aware of now. Um, He he helped them restructure finance, was involved in the appointment of the Cowley brothers and the rest as they say is history. Um, He's had a wonderful journey there, he was appointed chairman in 2018 and uh, his time there has coincided with uh, an incredible upturn in their fortunes and the club that he now is chairman of is is not recognizable from the club he, uh, he entered in 2016. He's a great guy, very understated, lovely fella, but with fantastic business acumen um, and he's helped to apply that and, and combine that with his passion for football. I think you're really going to enjoy
1: this one. And Welcome to Football
0: 360. Uh, this is the first interview of uh, of a new season, a very different season for everyone, I think. And uh, I'm delighted to welcome Clive Nates, the chairman of Lincoln City Football Club, onto the show. So, Clive, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Okay, my pleasure, Kevin.
0: Great, good stuff. Okay, so... We're going to go straight into uh, to a warm-up, as I, as I like to call it, just, to, just to, to get the conversation flowing before we get into the, the main part of the interview. So to start off with, Clive, who's your favourite player ever and why?
1: Alan Ball, and uh, he's the reason I, uh, I supported Everton, the hero from the 1966 England World Cup winning team, youngest member of the team. And... You know, I just loved the way he played. He was talented, but he also, you know, never gave up. uh, You know, hundred miles an hour with him, and uh, yeah, he was my favourite player as a kid. Great. uh, I've suffered being an Everton fan as a result uh, for most of the fifty years since.
0: (laughs) Well, it's it's a good one. It's I mean that, that '66 World Cup side. It's iconic, and uh, hopefully we'll have some new heroes to cheer about at some stage in the, in the not too distant future. But uh, I, I did watch uh, an Alan Ball. Um, he was just, he was he was speaking at uh, an after dinner speaking uh, event, um, and uh, it's it's on YouTube. And I have to say, he was a he was a really captivating speaker. Someone who really held the audience. He's a really funny guy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. Um, on to number two, so your favourite team ever, so uh, this isn't, isn't necessarily Everton or it could be an Everton side, but your favourite team from a specific moment in time and why you enjoyed watching that team?
1: Um, I think it probably is the 1984-1985 uh, Everton team that won the league yep. title and in particular won the Cup Winners' Cup. And the win over Bayern Munich in the semi-finals, which you know is just legendary amongst any Everton fan of that time.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I mean some some team that Bayern Munich team as well.
1: Yeah, and probably they might have been the two best teams in Europe uh, playing in the Cup winners' cup that season.
0: Sure, sure. I think I actually think my we grew up in Guernsey, but my, my father was across in the UK at the time and I think he watched I don't know if it was a Bayern Munich game, but he, he went to watch one of the one of the, the 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 home ties in that in that cup run to the cup winners' cup final. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's. I remember him bringing out the programme I had when I was seven or eight years old. So, it's uh, has some significance for me that one as well. Okay, um, next question. If you if you have let's say we've got a, a cup final with twenty two of the best players in the world, eleven on one side and eleven on the other and you're the chairman, Who would you, you're you the chairman of one of the teams, which manager would you pick to get a result in that one game? So I'm not necessarily talking about a manager to, to build a club or to build build a team over a period of time, just to tactically get you a result on that day. Who would you go for?
1: Probably in his prime, uh, Jose Mourinho. If anybody Brilliant. could get a result in a particular game, would be him. Yeah. Not sure I would have pre- appreciated the style of play or how he achieved that, but if you wanted a result, I think he would have been your man.
0: Great answer, great answer. You're not the first person who said, who's given that answer uh, to that question, so I think there's some, um, there's some fairly smart smart cookies out there who would say the same as you. Great, okay, and then final question before we get to the main part of the interview. Um, Clive, could, could you tell us a little known fact about Clive Nates that, that very few people would know or something about you that, that only perhaps your family and, and close friends would know? About you, just so it could be could be completely unrelated to football.
1: Um, well, other than family, um, well, maybe the fact that I like to play football manager. Okay. Before I got involved with Lincoln City, and Lincoln City was the team I normally played with.
0: Wow! And 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 how far did you get with them?
1: Not very far. Um, uh, I used to get irritated with the game, didn't have enough patience, a lot of bugs in the game, and would tend to give up before I actually achieved anything. But uh, anyway, it's a bit of fun terrific, at times.
0: Terrific. Great answer. Great answer. OK. Um, so, Clive, let, let's get into the main part of the interview. I think what, what, I, what I wanted to, to touch on today, certainly to start off with, is, is a topic that's relevant for all of us, and, and that's the, the impact of COVID on the game. Uh, I mean, can you give me an update on your views on on the impact and what do you think the long-term impact is going to be on the game in in the UK particularly?
1: Well, look, I mean, it's obviously had a significant impact in a whole lot of different ways, Um, bringing the season to an end, or at least uh, in the case of the Premier League and the Championship, um, there was a significant break, at least those teams came back, finished the season, but there were. There was an impact, I think in particular, on some teams in the championship. We didn't have uh, players uh, that were there to finish off the season. Sure. From Charlton and Hull City in particular, the two clubs that were significantly impacted and, uh, look, they might have got relegated in any event, but uh, when you lose some key players, you know, that's going to, you know, disrupt yeah. your season. Yeah, There's obviously further disruption lower down, in particular in League One, where, you know, uh, some teams felt that the points-per-game solution, you know, was unfair on them. And I think to some extent, uh, you can say that Tranmere, you know, got the short straw there, even though I think their solution, um you know, wasn't the right one. It was a very flawed methodology that they that they put forward to have. Uh, what, what, what was that? Just,
0: just just briefly, what was their their proposal?
1: Well, they um, came up with a, a margin of error, um, and the way they calculated um, was just was was just completely flawed. They took a whole lot of averages over the three previous seasons across the three EFL leagues. And then, you know, calculated a margin of error. But, you know, that methodology, as I said, is just flawed. You can't take an average. You know, you can't take an average of a margin of error of a team towards the bottom of the league and apply that to a team at the top of the league. No, no. And and vice versa. So, you know, whatever they came up with just didn't make sense. And... But to be fair to to Tranmere, there's no doubt there was a significant margin of error for them. They could have got out of it. Um, But to be absolutely honest, I can't see any other solution to the one that was chosen by the majority of teams. Uh, Beyond points per game, I don't know what else you could have chosen that would have been better. Um, Avoiding the season for me, you know, was just totally out. Um, to have playoffs against teams coming up from League Two didn't make sense. So, you know, just an unfortunate situation uh, for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, you know, it's. I mean, to be honest, we're we're moving on from it now, and and um, hopefully that hopefully the, you know. We won't be faced with the same situation again in the near future but it's not beyond the realms of possibility that it's uh, going to get disrupted again. Uh,
1: absolutely yeah. and the EFL I think is looking at the moment in trying to come up with regulations that would cater for that uh, if this happened again Sure. which I think you know is absolutely the right thing to do decide up front what would happen uh, in the event of a similar situation occurring to, again and yeah. At what point that would actually kick in? You know, if you've only played 20 games, then maybe you would actually have to void the season if it couldn't <coughs> be completed. But if you've got as far as a certain stage, whatever it is, 30 games maybe, then, you know, I think points per game is uh, the only fair solution.
0: Yeah, okay. And that's, I mean,. I think for me, it's like anything in life and business and football, whatever. If you communicate it up front and everyone understands, you know the the, the boundaries and, and the rules and the way that, that, that those rules will be applied in the first place, then you can't really you can't really have all that that discussion or have you afterwards because you've all signed up to it in the first instance. So it sounds like a, a sensible approach.
1: Yeah, obviously, what happened was a unique situation of that nobody you know could have thought of and. You know, getting back to your original question, I mean, the other impact was obviously from a financial point of view, um, which has had some impact, but I think the full impact of COVID is probably still to come for the majority of clubs. Yeah. A lot of clubs have been helped by government schemes, uh, COVID j- j- job retention scheme, uh, deferment of PAYE and uh, VAT, deferment of player salaries. Um, so all that I think has helped also advance payments from the Premier League, from the EFL. But there is going to be a point where clubs, once all the players staff are back from furlough, uh, once you start paying uh, HMRLC back, yeah. Um, yeah. there is going to be a point at which clubs are going to be um, I think facing some serious issues unless the EFL does deliver on the rescue package that it's negotiating with the Premier League, um, sure. that I think is vital for
0: many clubs. Yeah, I mean it's it's cool. we can talk about this one subject all day, Clive. Uh, you know, I, I, it's been a bugbear of mine that, and that certainly in, in the non-league game at uh, the top of the non-league game, a number of clubs have. Have gone to the wall and uh, gone into administration and liquidation and, and reinvented themselves and gone back through and then made the same mistakes again. Um, you know, only a few years later, it generally chasing, chasing, you know, chasing, you know, promotions and trophies uh, and putting the money into the playing squad. And I, I think, for me, as a, as a fan, as a coach, as a you know someone who, who loves the game and is involved in it to some degree, um, you would hope that the right balance is struck between. Uh, the support packages, but also the need for good practice and good governance within the, within the uh, the clubs themselves.
1: Well, that might be one of the positive impacts of COVID. Um, yeah, I think firstly, salary caps would not have been introduced at League One and League Two level without the impact of COVID. Yeah, um, a lot of clubs, or not a lot of clubs, but certainly a few clubs, are not too happy about that. And I can understand to some extent, uh, you know, why the bigger clubs are not not happy about it. Um, I'm, I believe in the concept. I think it can really help. I don't think we have the perfect regulations at this stage. In fact, I think there are a lot of issues with some of the regulations. Uh, it was a bit of a rush job, but you hope in time. You know the regulations uh, will be amended, so yeah. you know it yeah. will serve yeah. the purpose for which they have been introduced. Yeah, you hope okay.
0: you hope, so. hope so. Okay, well, um, it's, it's, it's quite a good link into the next next question, really, um, because in my opinion, salary caps are going to really shine a light on the coaching and management and the the effect on how effective coaches and managers are. Um, because I think a lot of a lot of coaches in, in smaller clubs have always had this kind of chip on their shoulder about competing with the big guys with big budgets, and and whilst there's still going to be um, a delta between between some of them, it's going to level the playing field a little bit, and, and you know I'm looking forward to seeing how coaches and managers adapt, and and, and which ones come through and develop and, and and gain success in this relatively new world. I mean, but from your point of view, um, I mean, can you tell me as a chairman? You've had obviously great, you know, some, some some great experiences so far in the game. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about your views on the manager's role in a football club, uh, and, and particularly how you think it might change as a result of the, the situation we find ourselves in at the moment?
1: Um, I don't think there's, you know, one defined role, you know, for a manager. Um, yeah. I think it depends on the club depends on the club at a particular point in time. And if you look at us, uh, you know, when we appointed Danny and Nicky, I think we were a club, as Danny said, we are a club in mourning. Um, It was a club also that had been in non-league for five years, that had made significant cuts uh, to staff, to costs. Um, And, you know, in fairness, Concert was a a well-run club at that point and I think you needed to get in uh, a management team that almost took control of the situation.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: There was a lot that they did beyond which you would expect a normal manager to do. Um, There was a lot of obviously fan interaction um, and a lot of fans I drifted away from the club and I needed somebody to bring them back even before sure. we attained the success that we did. And obviously, a lot more fans started to come back on the back of that. But even without that, it needed right up front um, a new way to engage with the fans. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think there were, there were a lot more things that, uh, you know, Danny and Nikki for the long-term uh, future of the club. Um, I mean, they started to implement changes in the academy, and, you know, being an non-league club, uh, f- the funding of the academy fell away, yeah. so it was only thanks to, you know, amazing work done by a whole lot of people connected with the club and raising money that actually kept the academy going through those very difficult non-league years, sure. and certainly once we got back to the football league, the funding, you know, started again. Um, there were plans put in place to you know revitalize that academy. Um, one of the things that happened around that time is Danny and Nicky recommended Jez George, who had been at Cambridge United, yep. uh, to join to join Lincoln City. Uh, he came in as a, a head of football. I wouldn't say it would have been in the true way that a head of football comes into a club. Normally, that is a position that the club decides on and appoints a person almost, you know, to be above the manager. Yes, uh, yeah. And it came in a different way where, you know, Danny saw he needed somebody else with his focus mainly on Know, the first team, to actually start making some other changes on the football side and needed a person like Jez to actually start implementing that in particular with regard to yeah. the academy. And that's where yeah. uh, I've spoken about, it's not the same, the manager is uh, the, the different roles for a manager or head coach. And if you come to where Lincoln City is now, Jez George is now fully-fledged director of football, yeah. and that will be a position that we see going forward, no matter who the manager of the, of Lincoln City is, yeah. it's a structure that we now believe in, um, it provides continuity from one manager to the next, um, and so the role of Michael Appleton is different uh, from the role that Danny and Nicky had, especially Absolutely. when they came, came into the club. Absolutely. So I would say with Michael having a director of football there, he can spend a lot more time focusing um, on being on the grass, bringing the players along. He still has a massive part of the recruitment and no player would be signed without Michael wanting that player. Sure. There is a structure in place now where Jez, you know, would be involved in negotiating the deals, dealing with the agent, dealing with the other club. Whereas we didn't yeah. have that when Danny and Nicky came in, and that was very much Danny's responsibility to be doing all of that negotiating yeah. with the player, negotiating with the agent.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a great answer. You know, basically, one size does not fit all in this scenario, and it depends on the situation and the context. Um, again, as you would get with any organisation. But I, I had reservations, not reservations, but if there was one, one thing that I left, um, spending some time at Lincoln City uh, with, it was that that. The management team at the time had control and influence over everything. I mean, absolutely everything. You could see um, the influence that they had on on all of the staff, all of the people walking around the stadium, the ticket office, the the, the you know, the, the, what was the name, Sarah Jane in the in the in the uh, in the kitchen. I mean, you know, the, and the connection that they had was unbelievable, and 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 it was so rare to see that in a in a, in a management team or or a manager of a football club. And I think you. My reservation was that they would have to delegate and it wasn't in their ability to, to delegate in the future because they've adapted from the tenth tier of, sorry, ninth tier of English football all the way up to, to the, the second tier so far, been successful at every level. Um, but it was that, yeah, it, it, at some stage in the future they were going to have to bring more people in and also the people above them were going to have to put structures in place to ensure that they weren't distracted. as much as they were I mean you can't it's not sustainable to work 90 hours a week although perhaps they would disagree with me.
1: Yeah I think it was also easier as a non-league club. There there weren't the same amount of requirements for for a non-league club it was a lot smaller. Um, Once you get into the Football League there's just you know so much more requirements from the EFL uh, and also, once you know you start going from an average of two and a half thousand fans to nine thousand fans, it's just the whole infrastructure just takes a massive leap. Sure. And no one person, you know, ha- has that ability to have the same control as you have over a much smaller club.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's a it's a it's a great it's a great sort of journey to reflect on. Obviously, I think very unique. Um, but what I what 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 I wanted to kind of touch on and expand upon a little bit was the difference between a not a non-league club and, uh, and and a football league club. I mean, how, how do you see how do you compare the club that you came into the, the club that you're now the chairman of?
1: Yeah, um, you know, as the non-league club, um, it's just it's just quite, it's just a lot smaller. Like I said, you don't have the same requirements from the football league or the national league authorities, whereas it's just much more in the way of requirements, sure. you know, from the from the football league. And even if you look at the academy, when you're running the academy as a, as a non-league club, you, know, you run it as you as you want. You suddenly come up to the Football League, and you're now subject to audit, in order to get the funding, it, it just moves up to a completely different level. They're not comparable uh, at all. Um, in the non-league, sure. we, had a, we had a manager, managing director, who was also the financial director, come up to the Football League and the submissions, that you need to put into the EFL, you know, the the funds that you're now responsible for. You know, you just had to separate those those responsibilities. You now needed a separate financial person uh to come in. It's just moving from what is essentially a small business to a much bigger business. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. I- and as a and as a, as a football fan, so so because uh, I I, I, th- I love your profile, Clive. I love the fact that you were you were a passionate supporter of the game before you got involved in administration of of a football club and the running of a football club. Um, you know, I, I I feel very strongly about the the camaraderie that exists lower down the football pyramid. Um, and perhaps you get some of the feelings that you used to get higher up in the pyramid many years ago. And so the traditionalists love that that connection, the connection between the players and the fans, the connection between the the, the directors of the various clubs and, and and their players and the fans, and 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 it kind of feels like a bit of a family down there. I mean, how how did that feel to you coming into to football and and to be welcomed into to that kind of yeah, that that I guess that kind of environment before you you start things start to get a little bit more serious as you progressed.
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, my whole reason for getting involved with Lincoln City, you know, was not to think I was actually going to be involved in the management or anything. It was just to find a way to enjoy football uh, to a far greater extent than I sure. could just as a fan. So I wanted to experience things. I mean, I kicked the ball around, but, you know, it wasn't very good. Um, And then I went through my career and there was always at the back of my mind, how could I have some involvement in something that, you know, had taken up so many hours of my life that ruined weekends or or whatever when my team lost. and, um, And I just wanted to... Be able to have contact with a real manager to maybe go scouting with the manager just just to experience that. And you know, that, that was my only intention yeah. when I first got involved. I love that. Um, so you know, it was only once I got involved that I could see, or well, from my business experience, there was maybe some value that you know I could add. And you know, one thing just led to another, but. I mean, all, all of it really was, you know, the football experience, enjoying it. And I think the fans are, are part of it. I mean, you know, if you're on your own, even I spoke about football manager, okay, you do well on football manager, let's say, but there's nobody to share that experience with as such. When you're doing it, you know, in real time and you're getting involved, whether it's you know with the friends that have come in and invested with me in Lincoln City, um, the directors on the board that I've become friendly with, or just fans that I've interacted with, and some that I've you know become more friendly with, this is all just added to the amazing experience that that I've had. Um, yeah,
0: it's, it's all just. I, part I, of- I love that. I think it's. Mm-hmm. it's- that's amazing. It's, uh, it's a very, very pure experience, you, we, because you know, we, we, whilst I've become slightly less emotional about the game as, I, as I've played and coached, and so I've, I've looked at the game through a different lens, there are still moments that take me back to when I was a little kid. I mean, I, um, talking about you as an Everton fan, I, I remember being listening to my radio underneath my bed covers when I shouldn't have been should have been asleep. Middlesbrough played. I'm a Middlesbrough fan, and Middlesbrough played Everton. I think it was the second replay in the FA Cup, uh, maybe fifth or sixth round. And if we'd, if we'd have won, we'd have gone through and played uh, Liverpool, I think. And um, that you know, that those experiences as a kid and, and the magic that you, and it's a lot. A lot of it's about your imagination. I a lot. I've lost a lot of that, I guess, over the years. And every now and then, it kind of it kind of comes back, or, or little little memories like that come back, and I remember how special the game is. Um, and I think for a chairman of a League One club. To have, you know, I'm sure you're not the only one. There's some some great chairman out there who can speak, you know, with with they can still connect with fans on that level. Um, although, sadly, I think probably the trend is gradually towards perhaps people who are in influence of football clubs, certainly higher up, um, that don't at least communicate that to people. And I think that's a shame because it's it's part of the game that I, I think makes it so special. So, so, Clive. Um, w- one thing that, that I, I wanted to touch on was um, the difference between running running a business and and running a football club. You've got a very unique profile. Uh, I believe you, were, you you started the first hedge fund and ran the first hedge fund in, in South Africa uh, and, and had a, a long, a long uh, career in, in the finance industry. But what I'm interested to understand is, did do, 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 do you do you operate on a different kind of under a different framework now you're working in football? Do you, do you carry over? Are there a lot of similarities or do you see some similarities between the two industries? Uh, and how has is, how is your kind of management leadership approach changed since you've been involved in football?
1: I think there are a lot of similarities between any business. Um, you'll have, you know, certain financial controls, disciplines, uh, or you should have in any business, and I would have had those uh, in the, in the, f- the hedge fund management business, that you can apply in a football club, so that it uh, runs in an opti- optimal manner. Sure, that uh, you know cash resources you know managed correctly, costs are controlled. We, you can bring all those disciplines into a football club, and I think a lot of those you know have improved from where we were in uh, in non-league to where we are today, but there's no doubt that a normal conventional business is very different from, from a football club. Um, in a in a normal sure. business, you're trying to generate a profit or a return on capital. You know, whereas a football club, just about everything ultimately is measured on the success on the field. And that would be different for different clubs. Uh, you know Liverpool, their success on the field would be very different from let's say in particular what Lincoln City were you know wanted last season for instance, which you know was a season of consolidation, and how we measured that you know would ultimately decide on you know how that season went, but I mean behind the scenes, there are a lot of things that you're doing um, or that you even have to do to see that the business is sustainable. But a lot of the things that you're putting in place are ultimately to ensure that you get that success on the field. Like I've mentioned about the academy and the improvements there and bringing in younger players. Well, you know, that's also all great from a a fan engagement point of view and having a local presence there and being in the community. But ultimately you want to bring through players that can help the team, that can maybe generate profits, that will help the team. Um, you know What we're doing at the moment, trying to bring the average age of the team down, playing more attractive football, all that ultimately is with yeah. the intention okay. of getting success on the field. Um, and I think the other big difference between a normal business okay. and, and a football club is a normal business will have customers, and shareholders, um, whereas a football club has fans, which are both your customer and are probably the real owners of, of that that club. Um, I mean, customers will be with a business yeah. and then they move on. Same with shareholders, but your fans are there basically for their whole lives. You know, they will outlive any director on the board, any player, any manager. So, you know, it's very different from that point of view and how you interact with them. Um, uh, they're far more demanding than, than I would imagine any customer or shareholder would be because there's a, you know, they, they're, they're passionate about it. Um, you know, it's probably for many of us as fans, other than our families, there's probably not a lot more more important. For us, than how the football club is doing, and I think that what what makes what the sporting team that you know, makes a football club very very different from a normal business.
0: Yes, yeah, no, I'm with you. And and I mean, c- could you imagine yourself sitting on on the board at a Premier League club, let's say a mid-table Premier League club? Um, in that situation, I mean, how? How do you think the fan dynamic changes there? Because, because to, to me, uh, you know, it feels like the fans are, you know, it's kind of a PR above the line kind of strategy, but ultimately, it's not necessarily part of the critical success criteria for clubs at that level. I mean, how how would you deal with or you know, how would you envisage it would be uh, if you had that type of role?
1: I think as best as possible, it's got to be the same you Know at any level, um, I know the fans yeah. will be a far bigger contributor to to Lincoln City at our level than maybe the fans would be to, as you say, at the table, um, you know, Premier League team because there's just so much income coming in from sure. other directions, uh, you know, there's far more overseas fans, um, that. You know, I think there are clubs, you know, that that have a similar sort of interaction. You know, I think very much from, you know, the club that I've supported for you know, more than fifty years. You know, I think they're massive in the community in Liverpool. Um, I think they've got, you know, a wonderful interaction with their fans, or even though a lot of fans would be hoping it would be more success on the field. Um, I don't think it should change. Um, I really don't believe it should change.
0: That's good. It's nice to to hear that. I mean, I know I'd look to maybe Germany as an example where you can produce some of the best teams in the world and still have a fan culture and and some kind of social equity um, that's of a a really high level and a high importance at the boardroom level. Yeah, there are I examples out there where it, it, it's possible to run like
1: that. Up. Yeah, and I think part of that has been lost. You know, and it, maybe it's strange for me to say, but you know, with maybe foreign owners coming in without maybe the history of following English football more for a business proposition rather than a love of the game. And who knows, maybe, yeah. despite the criticism from some of salary caps, maybe that just might help us get back to more sustainable football clubs that will allow more fans to maybe have a bigger interest uh, in their clubs because maybe you you won't need all this money to come in from rich businessmen or whatever and maybe the more sustainable clubs can be the more they can be owned by their fan bases, the more those fan bases can have input into those clubs. And I know it's maybe still just a dream. Yeah, but yeah. Ultimately, I think that would be better for football.
0: Um, yeah. And, and perhaps on this conversation, we've come a little bit full circle as well because we started with COVID and you know, getting towards the end, we're. We might be talking about a scenario that could result could be a consequence of Covid if you see what I mean, that the, the game might have to be um, to cut, cut its cloth accordingly and that the importance that the fans have might might actually gain a little bit more influence again rather than perhaps you know move away as, as we've seen in the last few years I don't know. Yeah
1: um, I mean a consequence of Covid and probably even before that, after we saw with Barry and Bolton, you hope, you know, there will be an improvement in the directors and owners test. Um, I think you just have to accept no matter how stringent you make any rules, we humans, and there's always the possibility something will go wrong. But I think you've got to limit that, the risk of that happening. Um, And without a doubt, it needs far more stricter, uh, far more stricter directors and owners' test.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that I think that's painstakingly obvious to, to anyone with any interest in the game um, that, you know, the game itself and the fans have been let down by the authorities in terms of some of the, uh, the, the lack of due diligence and some of the people who've been allowed to come in and influence clubs and communities and the, the 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 relationships that they've had established over over a hundred years for someone to come in and, and open a checkbook um, or even a, a virtual checkbook as it seems to be the case at Wigan um, and, and and then disappear off and, and leave a huge mess for for the community and, and the people left at the club to clear up it's it's really disappointing but on the flip side it's fantastic that you know there are, there are also people like yourself who've come into the game with you know the, the kind of with an interest in pre- preserving elements of the game that i think are important and the, that make the English game what it is um but also bring some skills and some qualities that you know would pass the more stringent due diligence te- due diligence tests you might find in, in the business world
1: yeah and I think that's what's so special about the English football pyramid i mean i might have supported Everton, you know, from the late 1960s. But I had an interest in all the leagues. You know, when the Sunday newspaper came, you know, there it would have all the results from the previous day and the tables, and I would look at every result and look at the table. You know, it was fascinating just as as a football fan, even if, you know, you didn't support the team, you know, just. Seeing the teams going through their battles of promotion or relegation, and it, it really is for you know, even somebody, at the end of the world in South Africa to you know be following that, it they was were, they were special. You know the cups, you know which again also seem to be taking a back seat now. Yeah. You know, There's something really spe- really special about English football, and it's why well, I think it's got so many fans
0: you know, all across the world. Sure, sure, okay. Look, Clive, I I, I mean, it's it's a breath of fresh air to hear a chairman, you know, of a League One club of a a, a football league club talking those terms. Um, You know, there's a lot of us out there who are obsessed with the game to levels that probably most normal people wouldn't understand. Um, But but I think you clearly do, and um, and you know, I'd, I'd congratulate you on what you've achieved so far. I know. Everything that's been done at Lincoln City Football Club has been done as a result of a of a, of a team effort. You know, of course, you had a, a management team that were very successful, and, and another very talented manager in Michael Appleton now. Um, but you know, I've seen it firsthand the the the, the, the cohesive kind of um, effort of everyone at, at Lincoln. Um, so yeah, I, I what I really want to just finish the, the, the call off by saying is, and um, thanks for coming on. Um, Please keep doing what you're doing because, you know, if the football league and, and football in general in the UK is influenced by people who have um, the kind of business acumen and, and, and the people acumen that you clearly have, um, then the game will be in a better position in in, in the future than, than perhaps some of the situations we've found recently. And uh, it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you about the game. Um, The the quality of the call has kind of wobbled a little bit at times, as I say, we we might have a problem between Spain and South Africa at the moment, we we might have to pick up the phone to the respective telcos, Um, but the the sentiment um, has been been loud and clear, Um, and yeah, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the call, Clive, I really enjoyed it.
1: My pleasure, it's great meeting you, great talking to you, and yeah, I'm sure we'll keep in touch.
0: Yes, we will. We will. Well, good. Good luck uh, and best wishes for for the new season. And um, keep up the good work uh, and stay safe.
1: Okay. Thanks, Kevin.
0: Thanks, bye. All the best. Yeah. Okay. Bye.